Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. Folks, I am so excited to be talking to you today because this is the first edition of our weekly podcast episodes. So now each and every week, you can tune in to Scaling Up H2O and you know that you're going to have an episode of Scaling Up to help motivate you to that next level as a water treater. Folks, the only way that I can do that is you continue to write in with your topics so I know what to talk about. I'm now doing double the amount of episodes. I told you I was nervous before that I was going to run out of things to talk about. Well, now I'm double nervous. So please help me help you bring these episodes. And I want to tell you about the format that we're doing these episodes in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split out the pinks and blues. So we are going to have every other week, I'm going to answer questions from you, the Scaling Up Nation. The only way that I can do that is if you all ask me questions. So how do you ask questions? Well, there's several ways to do that. One is you can go to scalinguph2o.com. And on the right-hand side of the website, there is an icon there that says send voicemail. You can record your voice asking the question. You can give your name. You don't have to give your name. You can give your first and last name. You can just give your first name. Folks, you can identify yourself however you wish. Keep in mind, I have a clean lyrics rating. And I will play that question on the air and I will answer your question. That's one way you can do that. Maybe you don't want to get your voice on the air. Just send me an email by going to the same website, scalinguph2o.com and go to the show ideas page and you can write your question into me. And if you don't have a question, you have a show idea, by all means, let me know that too. If you have somebody out there you want me to interview, let me know that information. Folks, I'm so excited that this show has meant so much to so many people out there. I have been getting so many emails that people have said that this show has changed the way that they look at water treatment. I had no idea that that would be the result of putting a podcast on. I, of course, hope that it would be part of the motivation, but to hear that, that it's actually happening, my gift to you is an episode each and every week. So folks, please help me with the content so I can bring that to you each and every week. On today's show, we're actually going to talk to one of our clients. Now, you might think, well, wait a second, Trace. You've had water treaters on, but now you're actually bringing a customer on? Yeah, I'm bringing a customer on. I want you to look into the mind of the people that pay us for what we are able to do for them. And they also have the ability to fire us if we are not meeting those expectations. 
So why not? Let's have a conversation with one of the people that would be using our wares, and the gentleman's name is David Vences. He is a property manager, and he is really good at his job. He's not only responsible for one building, he's responsible for eight buildings. And of course, his boss is looking to him to make sure things stay in budget. There are no unneeded repairs going on, that tenants aren't complaining. All of the things that the owner wants taken care of, that's what David's job is, is to make sure that owner is inconvenienced as little as possible. And he, of course, has profits at the end of the year and everybody's happy. It sounds simple, but of course we all know it's not simple. And one of the things that he has to work with is water treatment. So join me as I interview David Vences. My lab partner today is building engineer to the stars and good friend of mine, David Vences. How are you, David? I'm doing fantastic, Trace, how are you? I am doing great. I am so excited that you are here. Of course, you and I, we volunteer at BOMA together. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But I know you have started your own podcast. We're going to talk about that too. Uh, but I am just so impressed with all of the things that you do. Uh, you're a building engineer. You're a young building engineer. And you're pretty high up in the world of building engineers. So what you're doing is very successful. And I just think that's awesome. So we're going we're gonna to have a whole bunch of things to talk about today around all of that. But I thought we'd start out with a little bit about you. So why and how does somebody get into building engineering? Well, there's a lot of good reasons. There is a lot of opportunity in the building engineering field. And when I got introduced to the building engineering field, I started thinking about the opportunities that, that can come about building engineers. And so there's a lot of avenues that one can take, even if they don't want to continue as a building engineer, because there's so much to learn about in this field, whether it be electrical, plumbing, HVAC, controls, and stuff like that. So I told myself, if I'm going to be a building engineer, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I hopefully become successful at building a building engineer, I don't necessarily have to stay as a building engineer. I can use that as a way to um, segue my, myself to, you know, to a different, uh, different uh, particular trade, like an electrician or HVAC professional. So that's kind of what brought me into this field. And I really don't want to leave it. I, I really enjoy it. So you came into this field, if I can recap, with an escape plan. Okay, I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff about all these different trades that I could potentially do, but then you never left. You said, hey, I really like being able to do all these trades. I don't need to pick just one. I can do all of them. And how many years have you been in the industry? I, I've been in the industry for 12 years, and I started with a company called Trammel Crow. And Trammel Crow, they ended up, I guess, doing away with the third-party management group. And we started working for CBRE uh, subsequently. And of course, uh, CBRE is a really good company. We've, I worked for them for a little bit. However, 12 years ago, I became a building engineer. I was an entry-level engineer changing out light bulbs and doing ballast and doing other stuff like door hardware repairs and also doing some light plumbing stuff. So I really enjoyed it. And I told myself, I need to you know, make sure that I invest a little bit more in knowing what I do so that uh, I can become a better professional in this field. So kind of my day-to-day -day type of things that, uh, that I do now 
uh, is, is, you know, we have a lot of capital projects going on in our buildings uh, and we are at budget season. So I'm looking for, you know, new, new contracts and new vendors and trying to understand, you know, what's, what's good out there and what's, what's best for our property. And currently at the site where I work, uh, I've been there for a couple months and I've taken on a lot of duties, including capital projects and op- operational stuff. And so we're working on budget season and budget season is a very hectic time and it's very hard to get, get you know, even a lunch in. So I've been doing a lot of, you know, lunches at my, at my desk and, and working on contracts and working on getting some new vendors in and working on new numbers for the next year. Yeah, it was hard enough to get you here for this interview. How, how did I manage to do that in budget season? I made it happen. <laughs> I made it happen. And so I pushed aside some, some items. And, and, but this is very important. And I, and I, I just want to add that I, I enjoy listening to your show. It's a wonderful show. I learned a lot from it. And I've also learned, uh, and, and I don't want to ruin the, the rest of the podcast, but uh, I'm, taking, I'm taking note of all the books that you bring up in those podcasts, and I'm reading every single one of them. And we've actually had conversations about some of the books that you've read. So I want to ask you a little later in the show about some of the books that you're reading now, so maybe our listeners can replenish their supply. I'm curious, do you listen to books on Audible, or do you, uh, do you read all your books? That's a good question. I've always been a you know hardcover book type of person and I, I just really enjoy doing that and it wasn't until I started listening to your podcast that uh, some of the best ways to read a book is to listen to it so here lately I've been reading or I've been listening to the audible uh, books and so uh, thank you oh it's a pleasure I am in my car an awful lot so the only way I can read is to do it in my car and the Atlanta police tend to frown on when you have a book on your steering wheel. So Audible has uh, has saved me in many ways. So David, it, it's it's budget time and you're a special engineer in my eyes because our relationship has begun in Boma and we've had a lot of conversations about water treatment and what you expect from your water treater. And you look at water treatment a lot differently than most engineers you don't just look at the bottom line. How much are you going to charge me per month? That's how most engineers that I've run across really evaluate water treaters. But you look at that a little bit differently. You mind sharing to the Scaling Up Nation how you view water treatment? Absolutely. I'm glad you're asking me. And of course, one of the things that uh, we have to contend with is our budgets. And so we have to be thinking about you know quality over quantity. And so if we're looking at the, the quality of work and, and services that uh, someone provides, we got to make sure we can justify that with our owners. But we can't just go with the lowest bidder because if you go with the lowest bidder, you're going to know what you pay for. And so water treatment is one of the things, even in, in since since I was doing water treatment, well, I say water treatment, but I, I did what I could. I, but for the most part, you know, the the involvement that we have as engineers is is not as much. And so we're we're too busy putting out fires, doing other stuff within the building, you know, uh, doing hot cold calls, you know, doing chiller logs, doing, you know, some, you know, minor water treatment tests and doing a, a bunch of other stuff like hardware repairs and and so it's kind of hard to get into the water treatment, you know, zone, if you will, and test for all the stuff that you would normally test from a professional standpoint. We don't have not only the time, but we also don't have the knowledge and know-how within our organizations. So we have to rely on companies like you to be able to educate us and teach us what is it that we need to test for? And is there anything that we need to be looking out for in our water treatment program? 
Do most of the engineers that are in your buildings, are they testing for something with the water treatment programs? Absolutely. What we do is we make sure that there's no, there's no leaks in our systems. That's first and foremost. You know, make sure that the, the tubing within the pumps are not leaking. We check that our, our drums or, or if, if you have a dry system for our listeners, of course, you know that if you have barrels, you know, you check them to see how, how low or high they are. We also check our conductivity, our inhibitor readings, and we want to make sure that uh, they are within a certain range. So if we see any kind of anomalies, that's our cue. That's our cue to call our water treatment company and tell us, uh, you know, what we need to do next. Uh, if our conductivity is too high, uh, it could be that, uh, you know, we're not blowing down. And that's something that I've learned throughout, you know, just experience. Or if the conductivity is too low, perhaps we're adding too much water in our system. So this could be many variables, as you very well know, Trace. And it's knowing, you know, what to do next when you see those anomalies. And, and one of the things that I like to talk about is not only about the engineers as to, you know, what they know and, and what makes a good engineer. It's not what you know that makes a good engineer is do you know where to go to get that information? And so that's why we rely on water treatment companies like yourself to be able to educate us and help us. And, and, and we need to understand that if there is an anomaly with, it, with our readings, then we need to let you guys know and, and you guys can help us out. Yeah, so basically it's a partnership. You know, we're helping each other with information we each have to make sure that the owner's equipment is taken care of. It's absolutely a partnership. And whenever we work with companies like water treatment companies, HVAC companies, plumbing companies, we want to have that partnership. We want to engage in that partnership and we want to make sure that they feel as if they're part of our team and we want that, that, that type of relationship. Well, we mentioned owners briefly. Let's get back to that and let's get back to the budget questioning because so many people in your position, the cheaper it is, it's got to be better. And all water treatments, the same. And of course, as you said, you get what you pay for. But there's so many engineers out there that don't understand that or their owner or their company reward them because their budget items are lower. So I don't really know what question to ask you around this, but I know I've encountered this quite a bit in my career. So what advice would you give somebody like me who is trying to do the right thing, who is trying to bring the best water treatment program to that engineer, and they're still on that mindset that, you know, I got to go with the cheapest? Absolutely. No, it, it definitely puts engineers in a little bit of a, uh, a pickle, if you will. But first, I want to address the first question. I, and, and how is it that we can have someone like the water treatment company to kind of take an interest in, in, in doing what's right? And, you know, you're doing absolutely everything. You educate your customer. You want to engage in that partnership. You want to tell them what kind of system you have, where are the issues, and you want to provide some, you know, hard documentation that shows that, you know, hey, this is this is something we want to take care of. But where it kind of puts us in the pickle is where sometimes we, we do have those restraints, those budget restraints, and we got to figure out, I hate to say this, but, you know, the lesser of two evils. Uh, you know, we, we want to get the best company that we can, and then we want to hold them accountable. You know, and I hate to say accountable, but... Uh, you, you well, know, it's a good word, and I think we need to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, it, it becomes very difficult because you have, you have companies that come out there and, and they just put a check in the box. And not like, you know, Blackmore Enterprises, they come in there, they listen to you. They speak to you. They know what we're trying to achieve. They understand that we're trying to uh, you know, save our pipes and, and save money and energy costs. 
So I would say you would need to continue doing what you're doing and educate uh, you know, folks like us, building engineers, so that we, we are sharper and we have a better understanding of our, of our water treatment program. Well, I appreciate that advice. Something that we do try to do is we try to teach everybody we come in contact with that's either a customer of ours or a potential customer what to really recognize when they see a complete water treatment program. By doing that, our hope is that they'll see what isn't a complete water treatment program. So in fact, if maybe we are more expensive, but we're doing 20 more things, okay, well, that makes sense why we would be more expensive. If we're going to be on site a lot longer, well, we're going to have to pay somebody to be there. I don't know about you, but I haven't found people to work for my company for free. They all want to get paid. So we've got to make sure that, that we can afford to do that. Well, well, I, I want to expand a little bit on that, and I want to say that, uh, um, you know, knowing the, the the culture of companies, much like Blackmore Enterprises, you, you tend to have that that feeling that you want to educate us whether or not you want, we want to use you or not. So it, it makes us feel good that that you provide us with the knowledge and, and tell us this is what you have. You can use this if you want, but I would consider repairing or checking or, or adjusting this or that. And that, that makes us feel good. That makes us want to come back to you and perhaps do business with you. And we certainly appreciate that. Well, Nation, I don't want you out there listening, thinking that this is a complete commercial for Blackmore Enterprises. <laughs> what I'm hoping you're getting out of this is that David and I have a relationship. We have a respect for each other, and it didn't start out that way. I'm sure you looked at me as every other water treater that came through your door. And because we've served together at the BOMA committee and we've also worked together in water treatment, we've been able to form not only a relationship, but a partnership with that. And, and folks, that's what you're hearing with this. David, one of the things that you do very well is you track where all the money goes in your building. You know how efficient your systems are. You know how much money you're spending on water, electricity, you know, gallons, you know, kilowatts, all that stuff. And the thing that I love is you can take that information and equate that back to how efficient your systems are, meaning is your water treatment program doing what it's supposed to be doing? And obviously you can't take one or two readings. You've got to trend over a period of time with that. But because of that, have you found it's easier to talk with your property manager, to talk with your building owner and say, okay, well, maybe this is four times more expensive than what we were paying for water treatment, but we're saving 10 times on the energy. Is, is that a technique that you use? That is a tactic. That's, that, that's a tactic. That is a tactic that I use uh, and certainly Certainly, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I do the utility reports. And what goes in the utility report is the amount of KW that we use here in Alpharetta, Georgia. And also, we document that usage and we also document the, the consumption, the, the cost per KW. And we put that all in a huge spreadsheet and we present that to our ownership on a monthly basis. And so whenever we have a new program that introduces opportunities uh, or a strategy for us to save money and reduce that KW, that pretty much shows up on the report. You can see that there's a reduction on energy uh, efficiency and there's a reduction in, in usage uh, of KW. And, and of course, it makes us feel good to be able to slide that piece of paper over to them and tell them this is how much money we're saving. And so whenever we have a water treatment 
company that comes in and delivers a good water treatment program, we're able to demonstrate to our property management group, we're able to demonstrate to our ownership and tell them, you know, we have a good water treatment program. It costs a little bit more. However, we're saving a lot more money and we're also protecting our pipes. And instead of, you know, running four compressors on a commercial self-contained unit on a 60 degree day, we're running one compressor and we don't have to worry about the water the water being so dirty because we have a great water treatment program much like the chiller if the chiller is at 50 uh, percent loaded and it's a 275 amp chiller if it's a clean system and, and, it's, and it's doing all it can at 50 percent then we're doing a good job however if it's 70 percent open is the inlet guy vein 70 percent open and you're doing 70 percent of 275 amps then you're, you're you're using up more energy to accomplish the same job and it could say something about your water treatment program so that's where we get the savings and that's where we turn in the report cards and that's what makes us feel good whenever we have a good report card there you go and you can say see you're paying me and i'm doing my job and i'm talking about you talking to the owner now absolutely so uh, and then i of course can say that to you yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely right. absolutely <laughs> Well, well, let me ask. So how involved do the property manager and the owner get involved into water treatment? She looks at it or he looks at it and, and looks and looks at the KW, looks at the, the report and, and under, tries to understand um, where, you know, where are we going wrong or where are we going right? And they're able to identify that. It's on us, the engineer, to, to show them, uh, you know, graphs or show them, uh, you know, some Gantt charts or any kind of, uh, you know, data that supports that we are saving or why we lost uh, money. Early this year, around January, we had a hard time here in Atlanta. We had a hard cold, and it was one that uh, was very difficult for uh, property management in, in the Atlanta market to to kind of uh, understand why we didn't see it coming. And it was unpredictable. It got really cold. It got really cold for- It does not yeah. do that here in Atlanta no, very often. Not, not, not very much. We and, tell people, hey, you might want to consider putting glycol in these systems. No, we don't need that. I can't tell you how many calls we got during that week. Did, did by any chance, did you guys put that glycol in you mentioned last summer? No, you didn't approve it. Well, we got some busted pipes now. Well, there you go. And, and you see, and again, those are the type of things that we need to be able to produce to the property management team and let them know this is why we're, we're using so much energy. So we, we, they, they do get involved. And if you have someone like a, a senior vice president of operations getting involved, they, they definitely dig into the numbers and they want to dig into the programs that you have in place, and they want to know who has this program and what are they doing to make this program better. I will say that one of the issues that I find that's very common amongst water treaters that I work with is they have a great relationship with maybe somebody like you and the engineers that work with you, but they don't know anybody above you, the property manager, hopefully the owner or something like that. And I have found, and it's difficult, it's really difficult to, to work your way up. And the only way we can do that is if you introduce us. But when they feel that they also have that partnership, now they understand things better. And my absolute favorite thing is to looking at reports with those people, with you there, of course, and talking about accomplishments that not only I made, but your team made as well. So now we all get accolades for that and they can see, okay, you know, David came to me and he convinced me to use a little bit extra money on the water treatment budget, but now I'm actually seeing what we're getting for that. And we never got that before. 
So what advice would you give to a water treater that wants to make sure they have not only a relationship with the engineer, with all the boots on the ground, but people that are making other decisions as well? Absolutely. No, it's a, you know, one of the things that, that we look at, obviously, is how could we add value to the building? And if, if there was some type of, you know, case study, you know, case studies to show uh, we've done business in dust, dust and dust building, and this is how much money we've saved them on that, because sometimes that's usually the driver. And that's the driver to be able to get certain companies out there and say, hey, let's invest in a more expensive but higher quality company out to work at your building. And, and you'll see that, you know, they're going to save you money. They're going to save you a lot more money than you end up spending to begin with to get them in on board. That's going to drive the operational expenses up. However, there's going to be, uh, you know, a payback on, in the long haul. So being able to provide some of the some of the case studies is I've worked at this building over here. They were okay with me sharing this program and they're okay with me sharing this case study. And this is the kind of program they had at one time. And this is what I was able to do to save them money. And and that right there makes us feel good. It makes us feel like, well, you guys invested in understanding, documenting, and being able to provide some data to say, we can save you money and this is how we're going to do it. And so that that would be something that would reach out to uh, our property management. So if you provide us with that kind of information, we can slide that over to them and say, we know a good company that can take care of us. Well, that's great advice. Let's talk about documentation and reporting. One of my pet peeves, and you listen to the show, you know this, is sorry water treatment reports. And folks out there, I know you've seen them. I hope you're not a culprit of writing them, but there are a lot of water treatment reports out there that are not worth the email they're sent on or the paper that they're written on. And if all they're doing is padding a file, they're no good. So I want to ask you, what advice from the building engineer perspective can you give to the Scaling Up Nation? What do you want to see on a service report? Let me start by saying what I don't want to see on the service. Fair enough. Let's go there first. first. (laughs) Well, you know, it's 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 much like our our work order systems, and for for the building engineers out there who are listening, we get a work order like it's too hot or too cold, or something like we got a light out, and the comments at the end is whenever we close out the work order, and this is what they the the customer sees or the tenant sees. Is a, is a closing comment that says, found this, did this, and everything's good, or something to that effect. However, um, what I don't like to see in some of those reports is that uh, took care of it, or done, or did it, or complete, you know, checked all's good. You know, just having those small one-time, you know, comments like that, it's, it's always a bad impression on the person who's reading it. So what I want to see in those reports is, is details detailed information of what was found, what was done, and how you left it. And of course, if it's, uh, you know, perform monthly tests, something like that, that's something like, huh, something I could have done, you know. And, and so, it, much like you said, that is a kind of poor way to kind of show your customer that, you know, I came in here and I checked the box. And so, that's not something we to see because we feel like we're not appreciated as much. So checking the box is, is good, but checking the box and, and also having, uh, you know, the full details as of, of what you've done on the report helps us understand water treatment a lot better, too. I love that answer because I think you've shifted the paradigms of every member out there in the Scaling Up Nation, where now a, a poor report shows that 
they don't care as much about you. It's a respect thing, not uh, I'm really hurried and I got to get to my next account and I want to write this as quickly as possible. So folks, I hope you heard that. When I asked that question, I wasn't expecting that answer, but uh, I'm glad I do good service reports and hopefully you think I do good service reports. Absolutely. absolutely. But uh, I've never looked at it as a respect issue. So that's, wow, that's huge. So we mentioned how important the reports are. How important is it for the water treater to sit down and spend some time not only explaining the report to you, but also explaining what they're doing and where they're going? It's always fascinated me. And, you know, I, I took care of swimming pools when I entered the maintenance field, uh, the maintenance realm, uh, about 16, 17 years ago. And I was a, I was a, a swimming pool, a pool boy, if you will. And so I would uh, check the, the chlorine and I would also check the alkalinity, the calcium and so on and so forth. And whenever the, the pool guy, the, the, the professional came out there and did his monthly, quarterly inspections, I would hang out with him and I would soak up as much information as I could because there were some areas that I had some concerns in. So it's important for that water treatment guy to come ha- have that conversation with, uh, with the engineer because we want to make sure that we're learning something from you too because it's a partnership like we talked. It's a partnership to be able to educate you know, us and also for us to be able to you know, report anything that we find that's, um, that's, that, that needs to be reported. Great advice. What do water treaters do that you just wish they'd stop doing? Uh, oh, he's, he just pulled out a list, folks. Hang on. How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, what do water treaters do that that we don't like to you know don't like? Well, you mentioned one. That's that's having that small report, having the one liner report. Came here, did that, took care of this and that. Another thing is not fulfilling their their promises. If they say that they're going to bring in some equipment and they're going to do this and they're going to do that, that speaks volumes because, you know, after the second and third time, you know, like they say, I'm going to bring you some dip slides so you can do a monthly dip slide or we're going to bring you some more test equipment the next month. And then all of a sudden you got two or three months without us being able to you know do the testing without the proper tools and supplies. So I, I would say that... Uh, if you're going to say you're going to bring something or you're going to do something for us, do it. Uh, because after the second and third time, we've already lost uh, interest in, in you already. And so we're just, we're just, we're just have some kind of work, working uh, relationship and that's it, you know? Yeah. Not only interest, but I bet trust as well. Trust. Absolutely. I couldn't find the word, but yes, trust. We lost trust. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to give trust. It's sometimes impossible to ever earn it back. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's talk a little bit about BOMA, because that's where you and I have met. Uh, BOMA is Building Owners and Managers Association, and it is where people that own commercial buildings get together, and they make their buildings better by working together. How, w- how would you explain what BOMA is? Because you're, you're higher up in the BOMA echelon than I am. Well, um, I've been two years uh, the BOMA BTO chair here in Atlanta, and uh, it's a great privilege to be able to get involved and be able to work with committees and provide educational opportunities for engineers in this field. So BOMA is a very good uh, organization to be able to, you know, know everything buildings. 
being, you know, again, like a water treatment company, you can network with uh, HVAC companies, you can network with, um, you know, plumbing companies. So it's a good way to network. And and the, the one thing that I like about BOMA is that the members do not look at each other like, you know, competition. There's a competition over here and we got to know what they're doing. They got to watch them. They're, they're more engaged with this or the other. They're more involved with, with being able to have that network, have that connection within the BOMA organization. And so it's a good opportunity to put yourself out there. It's a good opportunity for you to get involved in community service or get involved with the technical organization, uh, you know, which I'm involved in and, and get involved with uh, understanding different committees. So they got quite a few committees and it's actually helped me develop myself. I, I developed myself a little bit more professionally. So I, I'm very thankful for BOMO and, and for helping me build my career. So it's a career builder also. Well, there you go. And I would say it would be very hard to find any engineer in Atlanta that doesn't know your name. Is that because of BOMA? Well, I would say that's that's one of the reasons. And, uh, you know, I, I would credit BOMA as as one of the, the main reasons why. So absolutely. And that and, and of course, we, we, we all work in a very close uh, the, the, the engineers in this in this business, as you probably heard many times, it's a very uh, small network. And it's organizations like BOMA that has allowed me to kind of be known a little bit, if you will. So I know quite a few people out there uh, in, in BOMA and they, they talk about, you know, key players that have been in this industry for as long as they have. So absolutely. Well, I am pleased to serve as your vice chair on the committee that you're chairing this year. And I was told that I was the first vendor to actually do that. Is that true? Well, I think you are one of the second ones. And um, I think there was a first one. I'll have to verify that. Okay. But, but you know, you you are one of the first in the long All right, well, time. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> so so um, I, I thought it was a wonderful idea. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was spot on. And you have an infectious attitude about you. You're very positive. You've done a lot with BOMA and people respect you in this industry. People respect you in the BOMA industry. And that's the reason why I think, you know, though it's unorthodox to have a, a vendor on the uh, technical organization because it's it's a for the engineer, by the engineer type of organization. But you understand us that well that they wanted you to be a vice chair. And that's the reason why I think uh, made the hugest, the biggest impact on that decision. I've really enjoyed it. You know, you and I have gotten closer from that, and it's a great honor. I'm going to share my secret with you and, and everybody else. A lot of people would join an organization like BOMA so I could sell to you. And that's what most people join trade organizations for. You know, I'm a vendor. I've got wares. Who can I sell them to? Oh, well, this is a whole group of people that I can sell that to. And I think that's where most people make their mistake. Where I go into BOMA or IFMA or any other organizations that we're a member of, I go to give. I go to educate. I go to find out what I don't know, what I can help people with based on what I do know. And I like to give presentations and various things. So now I'm giving away all my secrets to all my competitors, but it's that giving attitude, not that getting attitude that I would like to say. That's why somebody asked me to step up and be your vice chair. Absolutely. You know, let me expand on it a little bit. Agree, 100%. If you are looking to join an organization much like BOMA uh, and you're, you're doing it just to get 
as you mentioned, um, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so, you know, first think about why you're joining it. And, and if it's because you want to develop, you know, your career and you want to develop professionally, uh, that's, that's one of the main reasons why people do it because they, they want to do that. And so, uh, they want to, they want to volunteer their time and, and also they want to network with different folks. And subsequently, sometimes it just happens naturally, organically. You end up getting business through folks, and and, and that's that's awesome. You know, that's that synergetic opportunities that you get. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, what great advice we're giving to all those people out there in the Scaling Up Nation. Well, let's give a little bit more advice, and then we'll turn our focus on to your podcast. So there's a water treater out there listening. What is the one thing you want them to get from this interview? Well, I would like for them to obviously invest in and have that partnership, you know, much like this, what we're talking about. Have that partnership with that, with that engineer. Be able to provide details on your reports. Be able to provide full details on your reports, not just quick one-liners. And then also, you know, what else can I help you with? Is there anything else that you need? Is there anything that uh, any resources that I can help you with? And of course, if they don't have the answer, it's okay to say I don't have the answer. It's it's much better to hear that because that kind of, you know, allows us to say, hey, you know, can you get the answer answer for somewhere else or can you can you find someone who knows about it? And then I think that's where you build that trust when he says, he or she says, I don't have that answer, but I'm going to get it for you. And they deliver and that develops that trust. So that's what I would like to look into when I think about how, how I can develop that working relationship with a water treatment guy. So same question, but now we're talking about fellow building engineers. What's the one thing that you want building engineers to get out of this conversation? Absolutely. Again, it's about checking the box and, and, and of course, or, or not just checking the box. Whenever we're, we're doing water treatment readings, whenever we're doing connectivity readings, uh, whenever we're doing our tests, let's make sure that we're not just writing down a number. Let's not just write down a number. Let's understand what that number represents. Let's understand what our mins and maxes are. And let's ask questions. Let's not just go in the plant and, and just write down a number because what will end up happening is someone will find that number to be an anomaly and, and then they'll ask, you know, did you not realize that that number was too high or was too low? How long has that been like that? And you'll start noticing, uh, Trace, that sometimes you'll have that, you know, I'm just going to throw some numbers out there. If you have a connectivity of 800, 900, and it keeps going up and it keeps going up to like, you know, 2,000 and 2,200, and then you start realizing what's going on here. And it's been documented. Okay, we checked the box. We've been documenting it for about a month or two months. But it's like, who's missing this? Why aren't you, you know, raising your hand? Why aren't you let your, your water treatment company know? So paying attention to detail is, is mainly what I would advise the engineers. So now let's switch gears a little bit. You came to me, we went to lunch, and we were talking about podcasting. And I think the conversation pretty much went with you saying, well, Trace, you have a podcast, so that proves any idiot can get on the air and, and have a podcast. So I'm going to do that too. Yeah. I, absolutely. Well, you're in, supposed to say, no, no, that's not how I go. You, you have the most awesome <laughs> podcast ever. And, and I want to have a cool podcast. Too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's very similar. <laughs> very similar. 
Well, I, you know, if you remember, Trace, one of the reasons why I, I kind of wanted to know you a little bit better is because it, it kind of started off with, hey, Trace, we already have a water treatment company and I know we want to go to lunch and I want to know a little bit about you because you are my vice chair. And also I like to know more about the Scaling Up podcast that you have. And, and of course, um, I, I remember, I recall bringing up, hey, Trace, you're, you're just a little too expensive and that's why we can't use you guys. And then you start talking and get into the details. Well, you know, let me tell you what you would be paying for and let me give you the quality of work that we provide. And so that kind of, that kind of set me, uh, you know, when I went back to the office, I really sat there and thought about it for a little bit and it made me feel, you know, again, like I had that, we had that trust, like, wow, he's given me the tools, he's given me the knowledge. And he's telling me that you don't have to use me if you don't want to, but I want to tell you what, what you should be looking out for. So I uh, certainly appreciate that. And then, of course, you know, we talked about the podcast that you have, Scaling Up. And Scaling Up is an awesome podcast. I, I, I'm glad I'm on it. I, I'm glad. I'm, hey, this is cool. I can't wait to share it with my friends and tell them, hey, I'm on Scaling Up Nation. <laughs> I'm, I'm on Scaling Up. But then we started talking about the, the podcast and your podcast, and I took an interest in it. And then you asked me, don't listen to the first one. And I did it anyway. <laughs> Nobody listened to the first I, one. Oh I my did goodness. it anyways. And so I started listening to it, started bench listening to it. And before you know it, I was in my driveway at home, uh, you know, for uh, 30 minutes later. And my wife's asking me, are you in the truck outside? Like, yeah. What are you doing? I'm listening to the podcast. I got to finish this one. This one's a good one. And they're all good ones, you know. And this, ha- this was the trend for, you know, a couple of weeks until I got caught up to episode 46. And then, of course, you encouraged me to, to, to start a podcast. You said, man, you should do a podcast because you have a wealth of knowledge and, and, and some stuff like that. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting that you would think that someone like me would, would be able to have a podcast. And here I am. I have a podcast called New Generation Engineering, and it's a podcast for engineers to help us stay sharp and stay current on new technologies. And so the, the New Generation Engineering is also to educate our current engineers, but also understand where we are, where we were, and how we're going to get there. So the engineering field has changed a lot, and, and I can expand on this a lot. But I met a guy that has been in the engineering field for 40 years, and I'm, I'm just curious, like, what has changed? I know a lot of stuff has changed, but I, I like to talk to you for a little bit and understand how things have changed. But we are evolving. Engineering has, has evolved, and we've been doing a lot of things differently that we don't normally would have done you know, 40 years ago. So, of course, your podcast is available on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, all the other ones out there. They're- Absolutely. No, yeah, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and you know, everything you've mentioned. And just search New Generation Engineering. You'll see me in my Arc Flash suit. And I was actually doing an automatic transfer switch, uh, not repair, but I was doing a, just a quick check. And I have to have the the full arc flash protection on me, and I had the face mask. So that's actually a picture of me. Uh, if you search "new generation engineering" in in one of those uh, podcast platforms, well, I cannot wait to catch up on some of your episodes. And I hear you got some wonderful guests on there. There's one guy that comes on for water treatment. I don't know which number that is, but I'm sure that that's just an awesome <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, you want nation? You want to pick that one out? <laughs> So I've got a couple more questions. We're kind of done with the building engineering side. So now I've got some lightning round questions for you, if you think you're ready for those. Uh, Well, I'm as ready as can be. (laughs) All right. Of course, the lightning round questions, these are similar questions that I asked all my guests. And then our home players can bet at home and see how well they do. So you can go back in time 
getting the DeLorean. You can see we're in my office. You can see the DeLorean sitting over there. So we're going to set the time circuits back to your first day as a building engineer. You get out, you see yourself getting out of your car, getting ready to go to the job on the very first day. What advice do you give? Education. Get more education. Get more involved. Put yourself out there. Understand uh, your business. If you're going to invest in a certain business, understand it fully in and out. Understand uh, the ownership. Get some more knowledge because that's going to accelerate your career if you want it to be a career. But if you want it to be a job, then, then you, know, you obviously have a job. But if it's a career that you're trying to build, educate yourself. Locate local organizations or, you know, look for local schools to, that can educate you in, in what you're doing. And that's how you're going to succeed in your, in your career. Great advice. I know you're a big reader. You told the entire Scale and Up Nation you're a big reader. What are the last books that you've read? Last books? Well, I've read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That was a wonderful book. And how did you hear about The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Right here on Scaling Up Nation, right here on this on your podcast. And of course, I also read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, and that is also something that I'm working on with my team. And we're starting at the bottom of the pyramid and, and starting to develop as a team and get better and having that ability to be an effective team. So, and I heard it right here on this podcast. Awesome. Well, there you go. There you go. So I know you, you've got a big library of books you want to read. What's the next book you want to read? The book, I'm, I've been trying to get some more suggestions and I'm, I'm waiting to hear your next episode so that I can figure out which book I'm going to uh, read next. All right. Well, you'll have to wait because I don't have my list in front of me. So I, I, can't, I can't remember what they are, but uh, I do keep those updated on my show notes pages. So if you ever, if you ever need to find... Uh, one of the books that you're looking for or you want to find out what your next read needs to be, go to scalinguph20.com and you, of course, can look at any of the episodes there. Now, and, and, and one of the books that I just kind of cracked open today is the 12 Irrefutable Attributes of, uh, of a Leader. And, I'm, and now I have to figure out what's, what's, it, what's it called. And I just literally cracked it open today. It's a uh, John Maxwell book. Okay. And it has some input from Steve Covey. Okay. So some Seven Habits stuff mm-hmm. interlaced within there. Absolutely. Well, David, with a career like yours, with a life like yours, family life, all that stuff, eventually Hollywood is going to find out about you, and they're going to make a movie. Who plays you? Well, <laughs> geez. Well, it, it had to be between, and I'm sure you've heard, you know, you would probably be a good Tom Hanks, of course. I, I keep hearing that. People say I sound like Tom Hanks. I think they're nuts. Just a little bit, just a little bit. And, and I would have to say that my thought process is a little bit like Tom Hanks and the way you know, I perceive Tom Hanks to think like. But uh, if, if somebody were to play me, possibly Jim Carrey. All right. Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, is, he's, uh, he, there's, there's different movies that he makes. And, and you know, when I watched Cable Guy, I saw a little bit of me in his character. I was going to ask, is it more Jim Carrey as a Pet Detective or more Jim Carrey as Truman Show? That's a good question, too. Um, well, it would be more like Pet Detective. <laughs> <laughs> He's more fun in that one. All right, my final question. You can now talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Well, it would be my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was a strong spiritual influence in my life. And if I can spend more time with her and ask her some of the questions, 
you know, and, and we don't think about this, you know, until, you know, someone passes. My grandmother passed away and she lived a, a very happy 86 years. And I wish I had more time to spend with her and talk to her and, and uh, understand a little bit more about our faith. So she was very strong and also very spiritual. And it was, she was a huge influence on me. So I would definitely like to spend more time with her. David, I think you have been a huge influence on the Scaling Up Nation today. So I really want to thank you for coming on, sharing your insights. And I think this interview is definitely going to make the water treatment industry just a little bit better. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm glad I'm on your show. And I thank you very much for inviting me. Well, Nation, as I said within the interview, it kind of sounded like a commercial for my company at first, but I want you to realize what you were hearing. David did not know me or anybody else from my company before we started working together. And just like most everybody else out there that needs water treatment, they're suspicious of other water treaters. Have you ever run into that? The reason for that is there's a whole bunch of misinformation out there about what we water treatment professionals do and how we do it. And sometimes we even mislead the customer to what it is we can or can't do. If you can make one change in what you're doing right now, make sure that every relationship you start is on real expectations and talk about what the expectations are. If a customer wants you to look at something because there's a perceived problem and you go and examine it and it's not a real problem, let them know that. I know it seems like, okay, their hot button is this problem that's not really a real issue. And if I keep going down this road, I'm going to get the business. But trust me, it's not going to be good business because you did not get it in a good way. Make sure your customer can trust you because you are trustworthy. And that's what you heard in this interview. We started our relationship in the exact way that I just described. And then day after day, month after month, year after year, we kept fulfilling each other's expectations and our relationship grew. I educated him on what a water treatment program should do, where he educated me on what his building needs to do and how he's keeping track of that. I'm able to give him information so he can go to his boss and say that he's doing a good job based on what my company's doing. And I'm able to use him as a reference because of that. Folks, if you do not have a relationship like that with every single one of your customers, you're doing something wrong. There's nothing out of the ordinary about that relationship other than the fact that we both made sure we understood where each other was coming from. So the next time you're in a rush to get in and out of that mechanical room, 
Remember, if you don't talk to that customer and make sure that they understood what it is that you just did and the value that you did because you were there, you should not have even got out of the car because you did not do what you were supposed to do on that service visit. I don't know how else to say it. Well, folks, as you know, each and every week is going to be a new installment of Scaling Up H2O. So next week, we're going to have an installment of Just Questions. So this is you in the Scaling Up Nation asking me, Trace Blackmore, podcast host, questions that you have. And we're going to get those answered for you. And I sure appreciate you listening to Scaling Up H2O. And I'll talk to you next week.